my personal biggest learning was that my idea of how to things should be isn't necessarily the best. <laughs> because before I was convinced that, you know, I have a very good idea of how we should be doing this and it would be good if we just did it. And then I learned that, you know, there's basically like maybe at least two other ways that are equally good but different. You get rewarded if your idea is amazing, right? Or if your idea brought profit, etc. So this sort of ownership of idea becomes important. It gives you social status. It gives you confidence. It gives you whatever. So letting go and understanding that no, together, you know, we're building this idea. We have to unlearn a lot of things that we were intuitively like taught or, you know, not necessarily explicitly, but just that we learned as we went through growing up. Hi, my name is Anna Kirabiksh. And I'm Karolina Szymanski, and you are listening to Cat Talks. Double G U double T. Hi everyone, Maria here, and welcome to season two of God Talks. Double G U double T, a podcast focusing on business and tech for good, experience design, and gut feelings. I'm Maria. Designer, strategist, and venture builder running GUT, WGUWT, a design and innovation hub. I decided to launch GUT Talks as the pandemic hit with an ambition to educate, put some karma on the board, and feature entrepreneurs, industry leaders, and investors who deserve recognition and have inspiring stories to tell. Feel free to email me if you need me. Maria at God.com, W-G-U-W-T, or check the links in the show notes. If you haven't noticed, there are no sponsors for the show, but you can still support God Talks, and it's super easy. Just leave a five-star review and a comment, and follow our social media channels on LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, and the Telegram channel. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get started. Thank you so much for being here to both of you, AK or Anakira Beksh. I just like to call you Anakira, AK, sorry. <laughs> You're a designer by background, super interested in neuroscience, and you've been working on that for a while. And my introduction is very, very brief because I don't know how to introduce you, ladies. You're just awesome. So, <laughs> Caroline Szymanski or Caroline Szymanski, sorry, the French came out. And you studied social neuroscience and you're very active in design thinking in this like innovation space as well. You also teach and you work together. So I just want to, this is the part I like here. Uh, I made some research to see, all right, how did you meet and so on. And I learned that Anakira spent a while sending you a minimum of four messages to <laughs> be able to get in touch with you and for you to respond because she read a book that was called Social, Why We Are Wired to Connect and that got her interested in neuroscience and she made research and decided she wanted to get in touch with you. So why did it take you that long to answer her? <laughs> um, I, but actually, it's even... That was last, no, it was 2019 still, no, 20. 20, yes, two years ago. Mm. I don't even know what I was doing at the time anymore, but I remember that I uh, read her first message. I don't know if I even missed the to reply to the first message and only replied to your second. Um, yes. Yeah, because huh? I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And yeah, I'll reply when I have time. And then, you know, I never had time and then I'd forgotten. Yeah, 
And then she replied again, I'm like, oh yeah, right. I wanted to reply. And I think then I replied, but then we didn't manage to meet because also it was like, yeah, then let's meet in two weeks because next week I have this project. I'm too busy currently. And then it was like, okay. And then sudden something came up and I'm like, oh no, I have to cancel. Can't do it this time. We have to postpone again. And so, um, yeah. yeah. And, and then when I met Anna, it was like, oh my God, she's so cool. <laughs> this is so cool. I so want to do it. I'm so happy she kept sending me messages. Um, yeah, because had I met her just on the street, I would have probably said right away, yes, 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 let's do this. But as an email, yeah, you yeah. have to read it. And it's never as exciting as it is in real afterwards. And so you yeah. just forget. That's true. So I think you, uh, she, she forgave you, so it's fine. Oof. And now we're here. <laughs> Thank the you, first Anna time Kira. we saw each other live. Oh, yeah, I remember. I actually remember this email that <laughs> I don't know. One of us wrote. Well, the universe is really not taking it easy on us because I don't know what it was, but there was really like such um, so that it was really impossible to to take the meeting because something had happened. But it was so unlikely to it, for it to happen twice. Or it was really funny. Yeah. yeah, I think it took us like three months or so to. Yeah. meet via really zoom like oh, me typing zoom. in oh yeah via zoom we've never met live this is still on our to-do list um but yeah it took us a while but see persistence gets you places definitely yeah. cool and and we yeah, are obviously you wouldn't manage to uh, meet via zoom because you live caroline in the middle of the ocean uh, <laughs> <laughs> on tell plank. us where you live actually <laughs> Yeah, I am. I'm living on the Azores, um, the Portuguese island group in the middle of the Atlantic. And uh, yeah, we moved here during the pandemic, actually. Um, it's quite funny because in like summer of 2020, we're like, so we'd been here before and we knew we wanted to go back. And it was like, oh, you know, while we can work remote for like two to three months, let's just go. Then, as everybody knows, it wasn't only two to three months, but it turned um, into one and a half years, basically. And now we like it so much that we decided that we um, want to stay. And Anna Kira, you're uh, my neighbor, sort of, in Slovenia. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, just looking at the map, how the world looks small and is actually. And we, we met online as well. And thank you, Anna Kira, yeah. for bringing Caroline to this podcast too, because it would have taken me three months as well, maybe, to, <laughs> to get her on the podcast. So let, let's kick this off in that sense. So, and I don't know if this question would make sense, but... Since it took that long for you to respond, how would this be linked to neuroscience and how did your brain function about getting a message from an unknown? Oh, I think um, maybe something you could say, but I'm not sure that there's two things. Like one is like novelty latency bias that you always, for example, if you read something like 10 items, you always remember the first and the last and the middle you forget. So if you read Anna Curious email in the middle of other emails, it's the one you forget. Um, that's the one thing. And the other is maybe, yeah, I think that's probably what happened. So what yeah. time do you wake up? Um, I usually wake up around seven. My Fine, so that's when seven. someone should send you an email then. Brother <laughs> <laughs> in the evening, the last one. Or um, the last one. Yeah. yeah. Let's uh, do a quick introduction. So who's Caroline? Who's Anakira? And how did you get into neuroscience, both of you? Yeah, my name is Caroline or Caroline in German. I'm from Germany originally. And I studied neuroscience. So I did a bachelor in neuroscience and a master in medical neuroscience. And then I did a PhD. I actually first started a PhD on consciousness research. That's also where I did my master's in, uh, my master's thesis. And then I got to know design thinking. And I was like, oh, no, but I really want to keep working with teams. And like collaboration is really something that interests me. 
And then I switched and did my PhD in the field of social neuroscience, basically on teamwork, like what happens during good teamwork in people's brains, kind of. And then I did also a postdoc in neuroscience. And then I felt that neuroscience is still hugely interesting to me. The problem is just if you work in neuroscience research, your main task, I would say, is really programming computers and doing stati running statistical analyses. And since I love collaborating and interacting with people so much, I'm now more on the sites and of working with collaboration and trying to bring um, there's so much research in neuroscience and trying to bring all these the interesting things that researchers have found and that maybe could benefit collaboration I'm kind of to bring that into the field of collaboration it's so interesting mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah so my name is Anna Kira Biksh I studied in industrial design and slowly shifted towards service design at the end of my university as a co-founder of the first service design institute in Slovenia, I found myself in a situation when I had to teach service design or design thinking, whatever you want to call it. So I got in contact or I practiced a lot of facilitation. So how do you get people to work together? How do you work with teams? And through that and organizing the global service gems that were actually quite big in Slovenia and getting noticed from the HQ. So the uh, Global Service Jam HQ, which was at the time Marcus and Adam. Um, Adam came on this podcast, by the way, episode 24, 25. All right. Yeah. So basically that's how we got in touch. And I started working more in this area of co-creating in general. So not just facilitation, but yeah, also using design, etc. And as a passionate reader, and I'm really curious, like how our brains work or why are we the way we are? Especially, I think it's useful when you facilitate people or when you work with people and design, it's all about solving problems for people. I think understanding how our brains work, why do we do the way we do things, got me into these books. And then you read about stuff, like I keep uh, repeating this one, but that the same part of your brain processes physical and social pain, and that in theory, you can sort of lessen your emotional pain by taking a painkiller, you know, those kind Not of only things. in theory, also in practice. In pra and this is just like, poof, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's for me, it was mind blowing, you know, mm -hmm. these kind of things that we know about our own brain already, and we're not using this in practice. Yeah. To make it even kind of worse that we're not using this in practice, like the original experiment or the first experiment that got famous that they did on the same part of your brain processes physical pain and social pain is like the social pain is really very low in this experiment. Like the social pain oh. comes from you watching a cartoon. And the cartoon characters are throwing balls to you and throwing balls to each other. And at some point they stop throwing the ball to you. Like they never pass the ball through you. And that yeah. already elicits social pain in your brain. And that pain you can already alleviate with taking a painkiller. But, you know, compared to an actual situation where kind of, you know, your colleagues are not really talking to you and you feel excluded, that's a really a very low level kind of social pain. And already this yeah. elicits like a pain response in your brain. Exactly. So I thought, okay... I want to now mix neuroscience and design. And as I started researching neuroscience, I was like, okay, this is just like, I cannot spend the next 10 years, you know, studying neuroscience and it just doesn't make sense. It makes sense to partner up with somebody who understands these things. And um, I got a recommendation from somebody from the co-creation school that I'm also part of. And he said, oh yeah, I saw this woman talking about <laughs> neurodesign, et cetera. And I would Google Caroline. Uh, Carolina and I would watch her videos 
and her lectures, make notes, etc. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to talk to her. Mm-hmm. And I think because I was so passionate about neuroscience and mixing it with the design, I got sort of the courage to annoy her <laughs> because I, I don't think I've ever done this in before like if somebody wouldn't reply I would be just okay yes you know but I'm so glad I did and so a huge personal learning if somebody doesn't reply it's not because they don't want to it's just because they exactly <laughs> yes yes such a big learning yeah <laughs> so that's how we got it yeah we designed a course together that I took the yeah. Prototype, I think, yeah then after that I mean currently our paths have sort of a little bit moved away but I'm not excluding that we won't collaborate in the future because uh, it's still very interesting topics yeah because it's will. interesting in terms of the journey because i know caroline as well you did uh, you spent some time uh, in milan at sacco uh, mm-hmm, yeah right yeah so coming from neuroscience and then coming from a design background design thing and then merging them and then then you have different sorts of outcomes what are some of the key moments you discovered maybe reflect like respectively in your own uh, practices like what are some of the aha moments you found out from participants and people where you discovered something that maybe you were not expecting to see in the way they behaved or worked as a team so the one thing is this that's kind of the, the my main motivation i would say coming from you know when you work with teams there are I mean, we all know that so many startups or also companies fail because of team problems and that it's really difficult to get a team like going well and working together well and how to set up a team well. And there's so many issues around this. And then you look at the neuroscience literature. It's never called collaboration in neuroscience, really. Like there's so much social neuroscience on social interaction. It's mainly how it's called. And there's like so much knowledge on how people, you know, what's important in social interaction, what are aspects that are being researched, but there's no link to teamwork. And then you're like, but why, you know, because it's so obviously the science of teamwork in a way. And we know so many psychological factors already about it. And we know how our brains work in in, in certain things. And why do we not connect this? Because, you know, so many people are having problems with this, but there's literally all this amount of research on it, but there's no connection. I think that was one key moment. And then another that I'm always like, especially if you look at design thinking, there's so much emphasis, for example, on warm ups often. And then people are always like, either they love doing warm ups, like funny, silly games, or they're like, why are we doing these funny, silly games? Really? No point. The whole thing doesn't make sense. We're doing funny, silly games. And then if you kind of look at neuroscience and you're like, you know, some of those are really just meant to, for example, help establish synchronization in people's brains, which is beneficial for teamwork. It's like one explanation. And then they're like, oh, oh, wow. Yeah, now it makes sense why we do funny, silly games, because there's actually science behind it. And I now feel so much more empowered and eligible to do these funny silly games that I liked doing before but I couldn't really admit and I think this for me was like one really funny and powerful realization yeah I hope I understand your question but I think um, the first time I remember when I was surprised about how our memory works was when we had to so I had Latin in my primary school very unusual I think primary school primary wow, school from Anna. the fifth till eighth How knowledgeable grade are you right right it sounds so fancy <laughs> 
and we had to learn like the grammatics, right? All the words and how they declinate and etc. And I remember I would remember these difficult things to remember by singing a song. So putting a song over something, I can still remember all of those things today, right? It's it's useless, but it was so I remembered or I thought already then oh my god this is interesting it's so easy to remember if I put a song over it or I would use a lot of visuals I would make all my notes you know would have all the pictures and colors and mind maps etc and again all of this was super fun for me and and it I think it's also the reason why I really like learning because I had such a good experience and I just when seeing that other people don't do it like that or, or do it differently I would think okay well this is interesting so there are differences and there are ways how you can hack basically yourself into doing stuff better so I think this sort of hacking yourself improving using the knowledge of how your brains work in your own game or in your own favor were the first of sort of aha moments and then it's just yeah how can we use this for others as well and you know what it reminds me like a good friend of mine and my neuroscience bachelor's to remember the cranial nerves there are 12 cranial nerves yeah. he composed a song like the, the cranial nerve song and we easily remembered <laughs> all the nerves back then Exactly. And it's this kind of, for me personally, I think it was out of own experience and self-reflection observation of myself that I found these interesting things. And then my brain always goes, okay, how can I use this in other contexts? How can this be useful for others as well? So it's a lot of self-awareness here also, I think that comes over time. I have one thing here that reminded me of myself. So obviously Italian is not my mother tongue, but I know my phone number in Italian. If you ask me to say it in any other language, I would have to think. Like, you know, yeah, it took me a while to get used to saying it in English or in French or whatever, because I'm just used to it in Italian. So it just reminded me of your story here. It's an interesting perspective because we have like Caroline embedded in neuroscience from <laughs> the beginning, getting into design thinking, so design the way you want to call it. And AK, coming from a, an industrial service design background, getting into neuroscience. So I, I'm just interested in, in like, where's the overlap here and how does it work? Because even saying, so Anakira, you use collaboration, right? Uh, you use uh, co-creation, stuff, those words. And then Caroline, you're saying that you use social interaction. So going back, and I want both perspectives how are you balancing this out? Because I know that, Caroline, you also facilitate design thinking workshops and sprints and stuff. And AK, now maybe you also know that, okay, social interaction, more scientific words and stuff. How do you balance it out to communicate with the audience? I think it's already one good thing when we collaborate, because for me, that actually always is a problem. Like then, especially kind of when you look as the scientist on neuroscience research, you know, all of this is basic research, like social neuroscience, social interaction, it's all basic research. There's no applied research. And so taking these insights and putting them like into practice is not really what the scientists would ever do. Like as a scientist, kind of this is forbidden. You can't take yeah. basic research results and, you know, give them so much weight and transfer them. You were like, as a scientist, you would have to do so much more research than, you know, bring it more into real life scenarios. And then one day you can say something about the real world. But yeah, when you look at this from the other perspective, it's like, you know, this is useless. We don't need another 10 years. We can already start taking inspiration from there. It doesn't have to be right. It's not about 100% this is going to work 
when you put it into practice, but it's more, this is interesting what they found out. Let's look at that as inspiration. Maybe we can design an intervention that will work because otherwise we just design an intervention by this, you know, gut feeling. And that's why I think it's very helpful. But looking at it as a scientist, I'm often like, oh, can we really say this? Can we go so far? And can we, you know, make it so much easier? I remember when we were designing the presentation, I think it was some words that I didn't get and I would say, okay, what does this mean? So I think that would help to understand. But like, I just want to comment on something Carolina said, which is um, a scientist wouldn't say these insights are facts and often they're perceived as facts, right? So you would say, okay, research has found, etc., And then people would say, okay, this is the way things go. And what was really cool when we designed the session was, okay, we have these principles, we have these concepts, and now we want to translate them or sort of show them or prove them through exercises. So we would make up our own exercises that would fit the online sort of workshop context, and then we would prototype them. And I think that was so cool because we learned, okay, this doesn't work at all. You know, this is not at all like what how we imagined it. And then we had to iterate. And I think in that way, using these insights as inspiration, as a point of view, as a reflection point, I think that's where the most of the value comes from. Not the, you know, this is a fact, this works, but it's reflecting, thinking out what kind of activities can we do, reflecting on that, etc. I think that there's a lot of value also in there. I want to touch on something Caroline just said, and Kira just, I saw her eyes. I don't know if you heard that. That yes. we heard. That, that one we like did. came from space. Yes. So this is the gong I use on Gut Talks because the name of my business is called Gut, coming from Gut feelings, intuition, and so on. And so you touch on the word gut. So this is a question I tend to ask on the podcast for everyone. And I have all sorts of answers. I don't have the answer myself. I just like to see what other people believe. And, and you brought up gut feelings, and it's not something that would come from your gut. So how do you deal with your gut? And this is a question, obviously, to both of you. No, I want to ask Caroline, actually, isn't it that the gut also like influences the brain a lot? So that's why you have the gut feeling? Yeah, there's, it, so it first of all, there's, I think there's more neurons in the gut than in the brain, I'm pretty sure. And for example, migraine, there's no some research that it's uh, very linked to the gut not exactly to the nerves in the gut again, but to the gut. So it hurts in the head, obviously. So there's another yeah. connection. And then from decision-making literature, there's a lot of evidence. And what you call the gut feeling is kind of on a brain level, then also your unconscious processing, like unconscious processes. And that in decision-making, those are often more beneficial than the conscious ones. Like it depends on what kind of decision, but um, mm -hmm. there's many unconscious decision-making processes that are actually very valuable. For example, if you want to catch a ball, it's only the unconscious ones. Like you just look at it, the heuristic looking at it and running, and then kind of the, your unconscious does the rest that you are able to catch it. And I'm personally a huge fan of, you know, gut feeling. Like I, I very much go with my gut feeling. If I, I think if you have a strong gut feeling, you should always listen to it. Because there's so much, let's take all the neurons and the gut plus all the unconscious processes, so much power and knowledge in it. Yeah, for me, the answer is twofold. One is, um, yes, I also love it when I feel it. So I think it also has to do a lot of with if I'm in contact with my body, if I'm aware of my body, I can very quickly 
override or miss, you know, that feeling if there's something else very intense happening. And then the second one that reminds me of gut is um, what do I crave? And it's interesting that I can sort of teach my body what to crave. And I think it has to do something probably with the gut bacteria or something. I also heard that a certain type of food feeds a certain type of bacteria. So the more bacteria you have of that certain type of food, they're going to want more of that food, right? Like the chocolate so, uh, bacteria. And the, the chocolate bacteria. bacteria. It, I don't know if it's called like that. It would be cool <laughs> if it would be the chocolate bacteria. Uh, but, I remember drug, I was, uh, <laughs> but I remember when I was um, doing the keto diet, you know, when you have no carbohydrates, I was amazed after a month, there was zero craving of sugar, zero. And I'm a big, like, I need my cake almost daily <laughs> or something sugary. But it was just interesting that this sort of something that you call a gut feeling Depends, I think, a lot on your body and the way your body is processing and what you put in your body and what your body is made of, etc. So I just find that very interesting. And again, this is something you can influence, right? How your body oh, that's, works. Uh, cool. That's interesting. I I'm going to try this thing because I also need my cake every day. <laughs> <laughs> and it actually just got me thinking. I have a friend who's a professor in neuroscience and she does research a lot on like how food influences decision making. And it does. Like it that you yes. think there is, if you take like high sugary food versus like almonds, for example, you do make different decisions after depending on what you ate before. And think about hungry people. And, and not only regarding food, you know, like decisions yeah. regarding other things. It's really crazy. Oh, that's crazy. I like where we're heading to this <laughs> <laughs> no, Honestly, I came with no expectations here because it's lots of things that we need to cram in like less than an hour somehow. So that can be forever. But I mean, if we like this topic on its own, it's something completely like it's something else. It's, it's another mm -hmm. I wouldn't even call it podcast. It's another lecture, <laughs> something mm. like that. So anyway, let's go a little bit back to social interaction, collaboration. What are some key activities you do to understand how are team dynamics? And that would maybe help you assess how to approach a team. Now, that's a really good question. I think especially when you start working with a team, right? But I mean, obviously the first one is let people talk and get to know them like that. But I think yeah, games, but not just icebreakers, but actual games, like maybe a little longer games. There's a story behind. So when I was younger, I would have very different groups of friends. They would come from really different places. And as a collaborator and co-creator, I really wanted to have these, you know, huge gatherings where I would invite all the people I love. And so everybody could meet everybody and these, you know, new connections would establish. And the first time I did that, it was shit because they would just hang out with the people that they came in with, right? Because it makes sense that these are the people I know hanging out. I don't have the incentive to go to a stranger and go, okay, so the next time I would introduce board board games. And this time there would be a huge pile of board games and I would just let people, okay, choose a board game and play with it. And after that, people would connect and get to know each other, etc. So it was something about focusing on the board game and then having these interactions. And the more I played board games, the more I realized that you can learn a lot about people through how they play the board games. It's because it's like 
they forget about that, you know, they, they don't consciously hide or pretend in a way because they're focusing on the game. The games are so engaging. You forget about this social self that you usually portray if you're just, you know, making conversations, etc. So I think games are a really good way how you can see how people make decisions, how they respond, how they communicate under stress, what it means to them to win or to not win, etc. So that would be my answer. That's a really nice answer. I would have given one that's similar in a way. And so I think especially kind of an online establishment, because that's what sort of I work with nowadays, usually in like an online setting, so you don't know each other. And I think that it's even more important than in real life, but it's just the same under a magnifying glass is I love silly things. Like I'm a huge fan of bad, silly jokes. Like I think it's like, it's my most important tool in teamwork as a facilitator, I would say. And kind of through all my research and knowledge about teamwork, I came to understand that I think it's only to try to establish psychological safety in teams, which is like the main yeah. thing that a team can work well. And I think all the silliness and funness and whatever you can to bring in makes people feel psychologically safe because usually everybody's a little nervous that they may look bad not in terms of looks but in terms of the yeah. other thing you're stupid or whatever and if mm. there's one person in the room that already looks stupid and you know does stupid silly things just makes it so much easier to be less afraid of being silly and stupid because obviously it's not such a bad thing i think lots of silly exercises where you have some people leading by example of being silly can be really beneficial to establish like a psychological safe space nice. you put them you... on the spot no, I would never put anybody on the spot, but rather, you know, that you say something silly and if you make a mistake, screw something up, you get the timing wrong, whatever, that you're not trying to hide it, but you're rather yeah. like, oh, I got the timing wrong again. <laughs> well, hope it didn't matter. Yeah. Um, or like, hope it didn't bother you too much. Like in terms of, you know, this, that you really are very open with your mistakes. If somebody says something, for example, yesterday I had a team and I thought it was funny that there was one guy and he said something about his background and it was like exactly my partner's background. I'm like, wrote in the chat and it was like, oh, that's exactly my partner's background. They mm -hmm. studied the exact same thing. So it's, it's nothing important, nothing, but it's something that usually you wouldn't, you know, throw all of this in, but you'd rather hold it back. And I think, you know, kind of the silliness and vulnerability in a mix that I think that can be very beneficial, that the others feel more comfortable yeah. to not being judged and that they can say what they want. Ad break. No, not an ad. But as you may have noticed, this show has no sponsors, but you can still support Gut Talks by leaving five stars or a comment on your podcast player and like share and follow the social media channels of gut double g u double t all links are in the show notes now let's get going it's cool that you brought up the online part because it was going to be the next part of my question ak you wanted to say something i also like to ask people at the beginning like something nice that happened to them so just to get in that mindset of positivity and again like establishing but this it's so important like what you said Colin, is this how people feel you know creating this atmosphere this vibe in the team that's difficult to touch but you can feel it because uh, both of you work with the uh teams and it's all about understanding the team dynamics to see how you will approach them and how you can maximize results or get results or or get them to deliver or whatever it is because it's it's part of a process that you design for each team or company or com team in the company and so on and this is key do you encounter some sort of resistance when you say like these are things you want to do 
because this allows you to set the scene. For example, how do you present it and how do you overcome this kind of resistance? I saw you, Anakira, just uh, <laughs> nodding. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. Like usually resistance comes, at least in my experience, from pain or frustration or badly managed expectations or previous bad experience. And I think oftentimes if people are don't want to participate or they're being dick in any way, it's usually actually not their fault. You know, they maybe just they didn't get the right information. Maybe they're under stress. Maybe they don't understand something and they just react in that way. So I think what's important is just to acknowledge, at least I took a lot of time to acknowledge that it's not me who did something wrong. So not take it personally, because then I would respond um, personally, which I think it's always a bad idea or it, it doesn't take you far in the situation. So I think it's acknowledging that and then basically holding space and being curious. This is what I've seen that works the most is when somebody is uh, resistant in any way, just be curious, like why? And accepting that, okay, maybe. And then thinking about how can we work around and trying to find a solution together if possible. If not, like the worst thing that one can do is just say, okay, let's take a pause, change the scene, have a private conversation, whatever. But I think being curious and just understanding that it's usually really not the person's fault. Or they don't want to be actively a dick. Well, some people do, but then with those, you can just say, thank you, goodbye. I mean, then there's, you know, there's no point. But usually if you're just open enough and to see and curious, I think any, anything can be basically overcome. Yeah, for me, it's like, I think it's funny that the scientist part of me, so I have uh, maybe obviously this, this one part of me that loves silly things and loves to do fun things and loves to talk and be spontaneous. And then there's this other part of me that is like, can we please get to work? You know, can we not waste our time with silly things? And yes. so I actually understand everybody very well. It's like, what the fuck is this now? Why are we doing like a team building session at the beginning? And I'm actually a fan of doing the team building session a bit later, like, you know, kind of like with the board game. If you have something to talk about, you're happy to do a team building. If you're just like, I'm supposed to talk to people I don't know, why? Like, um, yeah. so I actually think it's one thing to try to put the activities a bit later, and be at the beginning more that you don't ask so much of people that they don't have to do, you know, uncomfortable things and you can be silly and kind of in the meantime, so they, they get used to a different mm. atmosphere while you start getting into work. And that's usually like an approach that I try to take. So not asking like the, the most stupid warm up at the very beginning, but, um, you know, you are silly. So the atmosphere is established. And then a bit later, you can do a silly exercise with them and they will probably enjoy it. And of course, like kind of with the, some people just like to play more than others. And some people need more playfulness to open up and others need more sincerity to open up. So kind of trying to find a balance that corresponds to the people. The, the, this brings up another topic, but I'm not sure we have time for it now, but like if there's resistance and you don't let go and there's no communication, that this can lead to conflict, which is exactly not what the goal is, just because of things you actually mentioned. So this is just something to keep in mind. I don't know if you want to add something to it, because I think it's another topic. Uh, just, I'm Maybe just one yeah? tiny yeah. thing from like, that would be less neuroscience, but psychology on teamwork that, you know, maybe... Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of more and more people have heard of these, like the phases of teamwork. And one um, mm. framework is this, you're forming, storming, norming, performing. 
So mm -hmm. conflict is always a part, like you can't have good teamwork without conflict, like conflict per se isn't necessarily bad, especially kind of in the innovation fields where, you know, sometimes things come out of friction. Yeah, it's how do you manage that conflict, right? Yeah. How do you go about it? How do you respond to it? And I think also the will of people to want to let go and to want to work with others, because if it's, this is, you know, I've seen it in hackathons, for example, but also in teams, I'm sure you have too. It's like my idea, my idea, but your idea is just an idea and it's nothing at the moment, you know, it's just... Yeah. But I have to say that my personal learning, like when I get into the whole design thinking thing, my personal biggest learning was that kind of how do you frame it? Well, that my idea of how to things should be isn't necessarily the best. <laughs> because before I was convinced that, you know, I have a very good idea of how we should be doing this and it would be good if we just did it. And then I learned that, you know, there's basically like maybe at least two other ways that are equally good but different. Um, mm. So, yeah. And I think every time again, it's a bit difficult, <laughs> you know, to maybe, you know, you have a really good idea already. Why don't the others understand? I think it's yeah. a natural human thing. And I think we're also, yeah. sorry, I think yeah, it's also like how the society is designed. Like you get rewarded if your idea is amazing, right? Or if your idea brought profit, etc. So this sort of ownership of idea becomes important. It gives you social status. It gives you confidence. It gives you whatever. So letting go and understanding that no, together, you're not we're building this idea. We have to unlearn a lot of things that we were intuitively like taught or, you know, not necessarily explicitly, but just that we learned as we went through growing up. Yeah, it's, it's also our subconscious mind who can't let go of this like paradigm that we had in our brain from our genes that we inherited. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're a combination of things that come from generations at the end of the day and reflection of where we live, how we are, how we behave, I think. And unless we become conscious and okay with letting go again of things and being what we want to be, we want to be, maybe we should go into the metaverse and then become whoever we want, right? <laughs> <laughs> prototype different personalities there we go so i have a last question here i'm just conscious of time so you work together on designing a course i'm curious on how was this do we need more design thinking in neuroscience or do we need more neuroscience in design thinking service design you name it what's your view on that i think i know caroline's view <laughs> <laughs> um i think yeah just um more marriages between the two, I think. I mean, any kind of cross-pollination, I think it's always useful, you know, seeing uh, what we can learn from other domains. Yeah, and the other, I was thinking there's one very, like the largest research institute on consciousness, the, the Allen Institute, which is led by an incredibly genius person called Christoph Koch. He mm -hmm. said that for him, like the biggest challenge in setting up this institute and like only the most brilliant researchers go there and they all have the same goal to understand consciousness. It's like how to make them work together, kind of. So it's, it's really that, uh, you know, how you can make people work together. And I think design thinking is really one answer. How can you, what can you do to make people work together better is something yeah. that is needed in so many fields. And even though scientists are naturally very collaborative and very innovative, it's still definitely in both ways. Was that the answer you expected? You thought she would answer that way? No. No. Because you knew that I would say we need the other. So, I mean, that, that's... I'm, no, that's I, I, no I, 
we, we need I know, I, I know we, because we talked about this before, and I know that Caroline said that, that this kind of mindset that comes with design thinking is missing oftentimes in these neuroscience circles. But I so agree that it's about collaboration. This is something we need to get better at, or this is something that we need to be more conscious of. And actually, I'm, I'm just thinking I have, because not to make the neuroscientists seem uncollaborative, because it's all the contrary. And yeah. even there's one new initiative in consciousness research, which is so cool. And what was it again? It comes from the principle of conflicting collaborations, not conflicting. It's a different word, I, but I have to look it up. But what they're doing is kind of there's competing theories and nobody knows which one is the right. And, you know, obviously, you know, like everybody thinks their idea, their way is the best. Everybody works with their theory that they like and they're trying to prove that their theory is right. Mm -hmm. um, but the way how science is set up usually can only disprove things, you know, and not prove that something is right, but just show that something is not right. And so what mm -hmm. they're doing now is that kind of researchers from two conflicting theories are collaborating to design experiments. And then you run these experiments and the result will be incompatible with one theory for sure. So you're actively working on disproving the other's theory kind of. And this is such a cool thing. And I think they're getting so far with this. And yeah, wow. I think taking this approach into many other innovation uh, collaboration things, I think is a very good idea because, you know, we all have this tendency to, to want to pursue our idea and show how good it is. And if you can combine this with others kind of pursuing other ideas at the same time. I think that's great. Oh, that cool sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, the please. In the comments, <laughs> uh, whenever you find I will. it. Cool. Oh, so cool. No, thank you uh, so much. Is there any course coming up soon by both of you together? Unfortunately not. Unfortunately not, but we should, huh? We um, should. Maybe yeah, to add to this in the meantime, also we had lots of personal things going on and I had a little baby mm. and kind of that that paused our pushing the, the course, but um, now the baby's big enough. <laughs> and uh, the baby's so nice that I already started working more than I expected again. Um, oh, cool. So, yeah. No, I think we do, we do um, offer this workshop internally. So for teams, if there's uh, organizations or anybody, we can do that. We can customize it. So if anybody would be interested they can contact either Caroline or myself and we can get a conversation. We'll think about an open course, I think, in the near future and we'll let you know Summary when that happens. Probably. Cool. So we know where to find you. LinkedIn, you have your own website oh, for Caroline 7 a.m. LinkedIn, write to Anna Kira because I <laughs> did like every three months once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can put the links of our websites yeah, um, the yeah, and the LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Cool. Totally. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank if there's you. anything, yeah, well, you want to have a lovely conversation. Can uh, we talk about nutrition? Yes. Uh, social interaction and collaboration, consciousness, of course, design thinking, neuroscience, facilitation. <laughs> but yeah, interesting. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And bye bye. You are listening to Gut Talks by Maria Matloub. To support the show, please subscribe leave a review and share it with anyone who could benefit from listening to these stories and experiences. To continue the conversation, join the Telegram channel. All links are in the show notes. Thanks for listening and see you next time.